Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams. Hello everyone, it's Saturday, I'm Emma Williams and today I'm exploring the world of private tutoring. Is it something you'd consider? If so, would that be as a sneaky side hustle to help pay the bills? Or is it part of a long-term plan to escape the chalk face? You've got an hour and a half of my undivided attention, so just be happy I'm not charging you my going rate. Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the show. Well, I hope you're all well on this gloomy uh, Saturday morning. I must admit it's been quite an eventful one for me so far uh, because I got up early in the dark on the first day of my holidays to go yomping. Uh, I can't drive. I uh, don't know if I've mentioned that before. I don't drive. Uh, so yomping uh, through to the centre of Woking to get my booster jab. Arrived 10 past eight, breathless, ready to go. Only one other guy in the queue. We had a lovely chat as we waited and waited and waited in the queue. You know, other people were joining the queue, whole place in darkness. Anyway, long story short, everyone in the queue eventually realised that the vaccination centre was not open today. So that was a bit of a waste of a morning. Um, and I would say, well, I mean, I did get some exercise, but what's even more annoying is I put, forgot to put my Fitbit on. So it's not even credited. So it sort of feels like, weirdly, it doesn't count, which is yeah, pretty infuriating. But there we are. I did have the exercise. That's the important thing. I have to remind myself of that. Uh, well, so today is all about private tutoring. And I will be inviting uh, president of the Tutors Association, John Nichols, uh, to be speaking to me in just a few minutes. He's uh, ready and waiting, uh, ready to speak, which is absolutely great. So how much experience do you have of private tutoring? Most teachers have at least been asked. Um, and it might be something that you're keen to do or something that you're genuinely really not keen to do. Um, it really depends on how you feel about it. I know that many people have some, shall we say, some ethical dilemmas about it. Tutoring is sort of surrounded in sort of suspicion and secrecy in the world of teaching. I think it, historically that might have been avoid, about avoiding the tax man. But I think it's more than that. I think there's a general disquiet in teaching about, about the ethics of it. Some teachers are uncomfortable with the fact that some parents are in a position to buy extra support for their child. Others seem disquieted by the very notion of charging for their skills and experience. And yet an ex-colleague of mine moved from our school to a school abroad. And I remember him telling me that he quite naturally, as we all do as teachers all the time, saw a child in his, one of his groups was struggling, said, oh, come back after and gave them a little bit of extra time. And he got told off for giving extra time and not charging for it. Policy in that school was any extra time you give up is overtime and you've got to charge the parent. So a completely different mindset in that context that he got caught out for. 
Now, in terms of the ethics, we've also had the fuss during the first lockdown of teachers offering their services as private tutors during daytime hours. Papers like the, the Daily Mail and the Telegraph seem to have quite a love-hate relationship with private tutors, <laughs> well, compared to teachers where they just have a hate-hate relationship with us. Um, but whether they're bigging it up as offering the greatest advantage possible to young people or drooling over the charges of elite tutors working on yachts in the Caribbean, or doing exposés on private tutors who openly admit helping their tutees to cheat on their A-levels, these sorts of newspapers do seem to have a ghastly fascination with the topic. And of course, none of this helps the reputation of tutoring as a profession. And that reputation is something that I want to explore with my first guest. So uh, John Nichols is the current president of the Tutors Association, which you may not have heard of. It's the professional body for private tutors and the tuition sector sector. Now, I currently sit on the board of directors as well. Um, it's something I decided to apply for on a whim during the first lockdown in 2020. You know, when you're bored and you do something silly. Uh, yeah, so I went for it. I didn't expect to to get voted in um, as I didn't think anybody would want a full time teacher on the board of directors. Um, but it turns out they did. So there we are. <laughs> so I am on uh, the board currently with John. So I know him pretty well. And I'm really thrilled that he's able to give up some of his time to chat to me this morning. So, uh, John, I'm hoping you are there. Can you hear me? I am indeed. Can you hear me fine? I absolutely can. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. No, it's a real pleasure. And thank you very much for inviting me on. Well, great. So how are you this morning? It's a pretty miserable day. Yeah, well, I mean, I've I've not had a fruitless journey in search of a vaccine. I actually was fortunate enough to get my booster uh, days before the uh, the rush that was announced. But wow. um, but I have had a very busy morning with my two young children who who keep me f fairly busy from time to time <laughs> at home. Uh, so that's that's definitely been exciting for me. Uh, and obviously, I'm very pleased to be here to be able to talk about uh, the tuition sector to teachers, because obviously it is something which I think, especially when I was a teacher, I was a teacher quite a few years ago now. I didn't really understand very well at the time, if at all, really. I, I had a tutor when I was a child, very, very briefly. Uh, and so hopefully, if there are any people that have got a, sort of a, a deficit in their knowledge of what the tuition sector is like, hopefully we can uh, we can help fill the gaps. Yeah, and that, it's really important. That's certainly why I... Um applied as I say on a bit of a whim uh, to, to join because I do feel there is a bit of a a bit of a chasm sometimes between two professions that should be working really closely together in an ideal world. Yeah absolutely I mean the, the tuition sector and the teaching sector should on paper be natural bedfellows they, they pretty much they pretty much have the same objective uh, which is just to help students make as much progress as possible um, normally in preparation for the same kinds of content, so whether it's uh, core academic subjects, math, English, science, history, you name it, those sorts of standard things, or whether it's something a bit more niche, they they obviously both have a, a strong interest in pedagogy. They both have a strong interest in what works, what doesn't work, uh, and they both have a strong interest in how do we help students based on their level of need. I think mm -hmm. where the di some of the divergence comes in is that obviously for the last 150 years or so, teachers have been um, have been in a world that's been stripped of any sort of commercial 
aspects. So there's no real commercial aspect to most teachers' jobs. Most teachers don't have to do anything, have to think anything at all about sales or or marketing or, or running a business or anything like that because they work for a school. Most teaching is in the public sector. Even if you teach in a private school, you're probably pretty isolated from the from from the actual business side of the school and you're more or less just dealing with providing the, as good teaching as you can and, and really you get paid a, a fixed salary and that's it. And that's where I think the main area of divergence for, for tutors comes in. Um, but yeah, naturally they should be good bedfellows, we should hope. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, most pe- most teachers, I suspect, haven't heard of the Tutors Association. So what, what role does it play in the industry? Absolutely. Um, so the Tutors Association was formed a little under eight years, well, just over eight years ago now in 2013 um, to represent the professional tuition sector, um, both to clients and prospective clients. Uh, and that includes both par- parents, um, but also now increasingly more importantly, schools as well and, and local authorities who sometimes procure tuition services. Um, and also to to regulate, self-regulate the sector, because tuition has been a sector which has had no regulation whatsoever. Um, And it's an incredibly diverse sector. Even trying to define exactly what is and is not tuition is difficult enough. Talking about regulation on top of that is an incredibly complicated topic to try and even broach. And I mean, beyond the last year or so, uh, there's pretty much been almost no recognition of the tuition sector within the DfE. The DfE's almost said that all of their documentation prior to 2020 has a, probably about three or four references to tuition in the past three decades. It's really that sparse. So the, teach, the Tutors Association represents the tuition sector. We try and maintain a, a high level of quality and standards, especially in areas like safeguarding, um, but also increasingly in areas such as professional development and pedagogy. And we want to basically sing uh, sing the praises of good tutors and good tuition organisations and the effectiveness that they have and the, and the benefits they can bring, whilst trying to ensure that we weed out and, and remove uh, and discourage anyone who feels that tuition is just sort of a non-serious, oh, I'll do a bit just for some pocket money and, and it doesn't matter if I'm any good at it or not. Uh, we really want to repel and and get rid of that sort of notion from anybody wherever it still might exist that the that being a cowboy tutor is is okay or that it's acceptable we don't think that that's something we want to to be associated with at all and the vast majority of the sector is nothing like that Mm. oh absolutely i think i mean i've met an extraordinary number of 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 full-time professional tutors through my work with the board and it's very apparent that there was a huge number of people taking it incredibly seriously as a job now you mentioned the the dfe and their um shall we say lack of interest in in (laughs) the profession over the years but obviously recently with their their big idea of the national tutoring program that where did that suddenly then spring from do you think was it suddenly them going oh we've we've just realized or how did it happen yeah interesting so this idea Absolutely. So tuition has not been, so while it's not been on the DFE's radar uh, for the last, well, I'd say probably 50 years, let's say, um, it's certainly been, it's been discussed within some circles. So for example, the Sutton Trust has over the past 10, 15 years or so, uh, released at least a handful of, of research articles and, and sort of reports on the tuition sector. Um, 
one was called shadow parenting and it was about sort of the things that parents do to try and give uh, advantage to their children how much do they exercise school choice for example how much do they they try and provide extracurricular activities of their own and obviously one of the key aspects of that was how much do they provide tuition which mm-hmm. if you're a parent that's really serious about trying to help your child to succeed it's one of the main things that comes to mind right to provide tuition so that they can get past key exams or whatever it might be or to help them when they've found things tough so there has been discussion of it within uh within the sort of the the think tank research sector to an extent the eef prior to this so the eef is the education endowment foundation for those of you who don't know um and uh, the eef prior to covid and 2020 and the national tutoring program had already uh embarked on a an evaluation program of private uh, professional tuition so they had already uh, evaluated for tuition providers delivering tuition um, within schools, and they'd, that was a part part of their one of their grant funded um, programs to sort of gather evidence on whether it's effective or not. And as you, most of your listeners will probably know, um, the evidence is quite strongly in favour of tuition. As you probably imagine, it's intuitively having one teacher uh, and one or very very few students uh, is naturally likely to be quite effective. So. So yeah, so that then the EEF, when there were discussions in government in a panic in the early stages of 2020, when when the when the problems with the COVID pandemic were first becoming apparent, um, I think very early on, one of the things that was said by the EEF and by some of these other charities that had been consulted in a hurry, who already have some connections and, and discussions with the DFE, was well, let's put in place tuition. Right, tuition has been put in place by parents for decades, if not thousands of years uh, to help their their children if they need support uh why couldn't the government do it on a larger scale and i think there may have been an element of of the government feeling as though well perhaps some ministers in government at the time had had experience of tuition themselves um i don't know i couldn't possibly say the way it authoritatively <laughs> but uh it may well have been the case that they were already familiar with the concept and they thought you know what this this rings a bell it's not something out of the blue it sounds sensible and they thought, yeah, let's put in place tuition. If it works for affluent parents who, who put in place uh, academic support to get give their children some advantage, then if we've got disadvantaged children who are really struggling, why can't we do the same? And why shouldn't they deserve the same thing? Um, yeah. And for the record, I'm, I'm very much in favour of making sure that disadvantaged children can get the benefits of tuition. There's no reason that it should only be the people that can afford to pay. I'm very keen that anyone can access good tuition when they need it. Uh, I, in an ideal world things would be set up so that that's possible. Yeah. Yeah, but of course, it's it's been somewhat patchy, has it not, uh, in terms of uh, uptake uh, and indeed. success rates. So um, talk us through that. <clears throat> well, indeed. I think one of the key issues is that governments tend to be relatively unimaginative uh, in general when it comes to policy because it's very, very difficult to be imaginative and to think clearly when there's so many papers on your plate and on your desk. And I can understand that. I'm not I, That's sort of every government of every colour uh, to varying extents, obviously, but th- they tend to be fairly blunt instruments when it comes to sort of big policy initiatives like this, especially when they're brought in in a hurry. Mm. And it's been because the DfE's gone from knowing almost nothing at all about tuition and not even mentioning it to na- launching it as one of the the main pillar of their catch up program. Um, that's undoubtedly going to bring teething problems. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a 
uh, there's hundreds of millions of pounds going into making sure that the disadvantaged children can get the support they need. Doing anything in, in a hurry like that is going to be difficult. I mean, just look at Test and Trace. Uh, that's not exactly been a, a smooth ride either. So it was always going to be a challenge for them, especially if they didn't put it if they didn't have access and support from the sector. And uh, I think, unfortunately, because tuition's never been on their radar before, TTA was almost sort of has had links with with government they've been very much peripheral uh and it, so perhaps it would have been more advantageous in hindsight if we'd been brought in at an earlier stage than we have been to try and sort of provide some advice and guidance on how to run an effective tuition program at a national scale but regardless what have the problems been so one of the issues was first of all that the eef and, and a consortium of charities but mostly the eef led ntp phase one now, the EEF is a wonderful organization. I don't want anyone to think that I have anything bad in particular to say about them. I really appreciate a lot of the stuff they've done. And their teaching and learning toolkit is great. And I'm sure many of your listeners know about it. But mm -hmm. I, the, one of the problems is they have never run a tuition program before. Um, I think they would admit that themselves. Uh, and they effectively copied and pasted their grant funding model across to run a national delivery framework program from being delivered from an extremely fragmented sector. So for example, TTA on its own has over 350 going on very close to 400 corporate members. So they're companies that are of different sizes delivering tuition, some of them quite significant um, and some of them very, very small. But that's obviously quite a fragmented sector. Uh, and when the EEF turned around to me and said, well, we want to select 30 tuition providers, I said, well, I, I laughed, I think initially and said, are you having a joke? Uh, surely you're not expecting to deliver a national tuition program with only 30 providers. They were, it turns out they were deadly serious, uh, and that was unfortunate. We did try and help them fix the problem by putting in place consortia of tuition providers that offer very, very similar tuition models. Um, they were initially receptive to it, but ultimately they, they didn't pick any of the consortiums that did apply. So the, the problem was really... A grant funding model is great if you want to do a, a few limited pilots and you want to test something out and gather evidence, which is what the EEF is good at doing. Yeah. It doesn't work for a national delivery program where hundreds of millions have been set aside. That's just not the right approach to take. Plus, it was not necessary. There's no need. There was no need to give grants out to create tuition organizations when there's over 300, 400 of, of that are out there already ready to go. Um, so I think they did. They, they, Whilst the EEF is a good organization for what it does, it wasn't really best place to start running a national tutoring or uh, delivery program. And I think that's where some of the problems started because we ended up with a, a really bizarre situation where the UK, which has some of the most highly regarded tutors and tuition companies in the world, ended up excluding 90 or just over 90% of its professional tutors from its own national tutoring program. Utterly bizarre. It'd be yeah. like it, it'd be like excluding ninety percent of doctors from from the the response to the pandemic. It's just sort of uh, completely astonishing, and, and recruiting a load of volunteers and trying to create doctors from scratch instead. It's sort of a bizarre backwards way of doing it. So yeah. that was really one of the main problems with the first phase. If we go on to the second phase and fast forward, so at the end of the first phase, uh, the or half halfway through that first year, twenty twenty in early twenty twenty one, or obviously it's halfway through the academic year. Um, the the DfE went out to procure the National Tutoring Programme's prime contractor for following years. Now, to give to dispel a bit of the jargon about what the hell am I talking about here, 
when the governments want to do something they have no knowledge of it's very very typical of them to go and subcontract it to somebody else to deal with mm. um because the dfe had no if they i mean if you stood at a dfe office in march 2021 and said right who knows a lot about tuition i think it'd have been met with a deathly silence uh, in all fairness of, of sort of civil servants blankly looking at each other thinking what on earth is going on um so it was quite obvious that the, the the right way for the dfe to go about this was to try and get someone in who knew what they were doing uh to organize a national tutoring program going forwards beyond the eef's initial setup so they ran a procurement exercise. And I don't know if, if any of your listeners have any understanding of what a, a government procurement exercise looks like. But if you just imagine like your worst nightmare of paper hell, uh, well, it's, it's something a bit more, it's like that, but probably tripled or quadrupled. So you end up with like tens and tens of documents, some of which are 80, 70, 80 pages long, all these guidance notes, all the things you've got to make sure you do throughout the program. Um, in an ideal world, all of that stuff matches up really well to what it is you want the the contractor to deliver at the end of the day um, in a case like this where really the dfe doesn't know much about tuition they don't really know what they want it was sort of just kind of can someone replicate almost everything that the ef's done plus more and make it better um which is good on paper on a lot of paper um <laughs> but uh challenging for anyone to apply for and deliver given that there are no very very large tuition providers and almost all of the larger tuition providers wanted to be involved in providing tuition that's what they do day in day out they didn't want to be involved in one of these huge procurement exercises anyway i know a lot of your listeners will be getting bored now of the ins and outs of government procurement so it's skip forward so basically randstad there were two applicants randstad and and the eef created a spin-off charity and randstad had undercut the eef spin-off charity by the to the tune of sort of 20 odd million pounds and they were picked okay and that happened way back in sort of uh may june time uh, and then they signed contracts and they've been running the national tutoring program since september this year and to cut a long story short since september this year oh not very much has gone well with, under randstad except the dfe creating school-led tuition grants which i hope many of your listeners do know about uh, because school-led tuition grants give them a really flexible option it's money in school bank accounts granted they only get they're only allowed to use they can only allow to use 75% of it on a given tuition program. They have to top up with 25% of their own budget. But you can use your own staff. You can use whichever tuition providers you vet and are appropriate for your school. So you can use local tutors. There's an incredible amount of flexibility. Um, and TTA is very happy to support schools in making good use of that because they will, every school should be able to spend its school-led tuition grant funding. Uh, and put in place a program which will, will provide impact for the students that need it most. Mm, and I believe that money's actually ring-fenced. It must be used for that. Isn't that right? That is indeed correct. So uh, a few of the nitty-gritty details, we won't go into too much of it right now, but people can obviously get in touch with us at the TTA to, to discuss this further if they want. But you, it basically assumes that tutors will be paid £18 an hour, which is very, very low, actually, for tuition. But, up, is, but if yeah. you spend more than that, if you spend more than that, it just caps the amount of subsidy you get. So the subsidy is capped at 75% of £18 an hour, which is £13.50. Okay, so uh, the DfE has confirmed to me, following my questions to them, that it can be for programmes of any length, although they expect to... to to, they expect you to have 15 hour programs in total so you claim in blocks of 15 but effectively you you claim 13 pounds 50 
against every 18 pounds or more of tuition per hour that you spend. So you buy a tuition at 18 pounds an hour from whether it's an individual tutor, whether you're paying your own staff, whether you're paying an external company, um, you then use £13.50 of your school-led tuition grant funding towards that, and you have to top up the remaining um, £4.50 from your own from your own budgets. Hmm. And that is how the school-led tuition grant funding program works. But the advantage of that, and really, um, if I put it, put it mildly, the salvation for the national tutoring program is that that's really flexible for schools. Most school leaders or all school leaders should be able to find a way to use that money to good effect. It has to be spent on tuition and the DfE will be holding schools to account to say, how have you used this money? How have you used it for tuition? You have to be able to demonstrate that. Um, It can be used for up to one to three. So you can use it for one tutor to three students or you can do one to one or one to two if you prefer. Um, but yes, it will be tracked uh, with school census returns that and that schools are expected to explain how they've used that money and to demonstrate they've used it for tuition. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, it, that's good, isn't it? I mean, if we go back to the fact that, like you say, uh, research done by the Sutton Trust and by the EF show that what we instinctively knew is the case, that tuition is one of the best ways of progressing students and um and therefore if you use it with underachieve um with uh students who are have suffered more during the pandemic because of the education gap um it's going to make a big difference but there are so many schools still not accessing it i mean the 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 results are very patchy aren't they across the country indeed and i think part of the problem is here that um obviously if Obviously, the National Tutoring Programme hasn't quite plugged in all of the resources of the tuition sector into schools in, a, in an accessible way. The school-led tuition grant should ideally have been very close to what they brought in at the very beginning. Mm. Because the other side of the, the NTP, this, well, there's actually three. One aspect is academic mentors. And I'm virtually not going to talk about them at all from here on in. Because while they're part of the National Tutoring Programme, I'm not really sure why. It's more really about recruiting people who are going to go into schools and then be deployed by the schools in whatever capacity it's really a staff recruiting um, angle and i don't know of any any connection that has to the tuition sector or to tuition delivery certainly mm-hmm. no one within the tutors association or within the, our extended membership of individual corporate members seems to have any connection to it whatsoever um, and it's basically recruiting graduates to go into schools on on fairly low graduate starting salaries right that's fine yeah. I, and hopefully they are going well um, but i'm not in a position to be able to say one way or the other but anyway, academic mentors is ostensibly part of the, the National Tutoring Program. The other aspect of it that is not school-led tuition grants has been the tuition partners pillar. And this is what started last year, the last academic year, with the EEF recruiting those 33 providers. Now, the tuition partners pillar is a centrally run, uh, fairly bureaucratic process by which um organizations have been selected and approved as being allowed to provide tuition under the tuition partners program and that uh, the schools can then go directly through the tuition partners pillar to access tuition from any of these providers now as of a few weeks ago there were 41 uh, providers there's now that's been boosted i think it's in the 60s now following a recent round where they've recruited more tuition providers um but it's in all honesty and frankness for your audience, 
It has been beset by problems this year under Randstad's leadership. And I am aware of a number of concerns with the tuition. Uh, there's this tuition hub, which Randstad is it basically tried to create a tech platform. And like, trying to create a tech platform very quickly without a lot of knowledge of tech is a recipe for disaster. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, um, disaster has been brewed. So we're looking to hope to help Randstad to fix that as fast as possible. But I am aware there have been issues with that. Um, so please, please uh, try and try and dissociate problems with the tech platform designed by Randstad from the, ch the, the, the quality of the tuition sector in the UK. They are not the same thing at all. Okay, mm. Randstad's ability to design a tech platform does not represent how good tutors across the country mm. have been and are over the past 10, 15 years and how good they are today. Um, tutors can go into your schools to deliver an amazing a really high, a really professional service really helps students. And if we can get the tech platform fixed, uh, if TTA can assist with that, I'm working on a, an initiative now where TTA could potentially be able to assist with that. Um, and I, I have discussions with the DFE regularly to try and support them because we want to make this work. But uh, please bear with the tech platform. It doesn't work so much at the moment. I'm aware of that. Um, I'm not here to defend it. We will try and help it to work. <laughs> But the tuition you can get at the end of the day should be very good quality. So um, so whether it is that schools go through the school tutoring grant option, which obviously is the money in their bank account that they can go and spend now, um, or whether they're going for the tuition partners option where it's subsidized, but they only pay 20, uh, they pay 30% of the cost this year, it will go down next year as well as the subsidy tapers. Whichever option they pick, that gives them access to professional tuition. Yes, and of course, schools that have already, some schools have developed relationships with um, either a tutoring company or, or certain local tutors, and, and that frees them up to use that, use them, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, and this has been going on since prior to the, the COVID pandemic as well, I hasten to add. There are mm. many tuition companies that have had uh, relationships with schools prior to COVID, and there are many schools that have, have either purchased tuition uh, in, in blocks from tuition providers or in certain cases they've worked to where providers have subsidized the cost of their tuition and tutors have worked well below their market rate in order to provide support in schools at a, a really affordable rate and i must i must stress the value for money that sub schools would have got from those kinds of programs will be phenomenal where tutors have been halving their take-home pay in order to be able to provide cut price tuition for schools this is prior to the pandemic even being on the cards. Uh, so many schools have been using pupil premium funding or other funding to to access uh, to access tuition in, in the past. And and some of them will have achieved great results with it. I personally, uh, I'm only aware of a few anecdotal cases myself, but I know that that's, there's really been a, some real enthusiasm and that's been going on for, for several years uh, at least. Um, and, and now obviously schools in a position where this is a central part of DfE policy. When I talk to the DfE and DfE officials about the National Tutoring Programme and what their ambition is for it, they are absolutely adamant. They expect that this is a this is an evidence-based programme. Tuition is intuitively should work, and it, it does work, and the evidence says it works. So it's something that schools are expected to put in place to help their students um, to catch up if necessary, or if they're in a position where with a, there's no real if we if we're ignoring the terminology catch up which i understand is contentious in certain amongst several people for obvious reasons um 
if you want, if it's a it's a really good way of helping students to succeed. And I'm pretty sure that's non-controversial, right? Everyone wants students to succeed. Tuition is a very effective way of doing that. One thing I would stress for schools is tuition is not quite the same as teaching. It is different. It should be delivered differently. And I don't want people to just go out there and think, oh, great, school ed tuition grants, we're just going to pay some teachers over time. They'll do some lessons and it's going to be, we're going to get magical results. Um, hopefully you would get magical results, but there is much more to tuition than just planning a lesson and delivering the same lesson you would have otherwise delivered to 30 kids. It's not the yeah. same. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? It's got to be different. Otherwise, it isn't a dramatic intervention. It's just tacking another lesson onto the school day. And that, and, and we all know absolutely. that isn't going to solve any problems. Yeah, absolutely. And if I, if I may the, uh, summarise the key differences mm-hmm. between tuition and teaching, classroom teaching, I've done both. And I know very well that you have as well, Emma, and I'm sure that that well, I know full well there are many, many tutors out there that have been classroom teachers and in some cases are still classroom teachers and do some tuition as well. Yeah. The main differences between classroom teaching and tuition is that within tuition, it's far, far more flexible and it should be. Okay. Normally within classroom teaching, you go in with a lesson plan, you have a lesson plan, whether you wrote it or your department wrote it, however you've got there, you've got a scheme of work and your your objective is to get through the lesson plan, fulfill the lesson objectives, get the lesson outcomes, make sure the students have learned the new content or have covered the content that you're trying to cover. They've done some practice and you come out of it with all the students having completed the tasks they're supposed to be set. They go off and do homework. We all, all of your listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with that kind of standard model of delivering lessons. In tuition, it's really, really important to be much more flexible and responsive. It's really, really important because that's where the benefit comes. If the student already understands something, go through it much quicker and get to the bits they find difficult because that's where you're making progress. Okay. If if I I've done over ten thousand hours of tuition now, so I hopefully I know something about it, right? But the important thing about it is, from my mind, you've got to make sure that you can assess students very quickly, whether it's verbally. Questioning is extremely important in tuition contexts. Um, different sorts of questions, whether they're extended or open-ended, whether they're closed or just uh, core, core knowledge, so definitions and stuff like that. Get through some assessment material with them. Make sure you've pinpointed what the problems are. Address the problems. Address what's holding them back. What's the limiting factor for their progress? Do they not? Which bit of their course do they not understand? Address that and then go back more questions so they understood it do they understand the the content around it and keep going in that way it's very different dynamic to a lesson um in many ways it's it's sort of more similar to a revision lesson um but it it we i would really stress from teachers that many of you many teachers will go on to be able to make fantastic tutors but please please uh, understand from the beginning you should be doing it very differently Oh, yeah, I I completely agree. Uh, It is completely different. And it's that the real joy of it actually is that your job is to frisk that student for misunderstanding and you can give them your undivided attention, find the find the holes in the wall, you know, and they might be right down the bottom undermining the whole thing. Um, Absolutely. And it's stripping everything right back to the basics and, and rebuilding. And you just can't do that in the mainstream classroom. It is not possible to to go in and find those little fissures and, and fill in the gaps and and that I think is is what I find so interesting about behave, but acting as a tutor as opposed to as a teacher I think it's it is extremely different yeah absolutely I can't stress that enough I mean it when I remember being a teacher and almost being habituated to sort of 
I can't spend too much time on this with any one particular student. We have to move on because the rest of the class is obviously going to be waiting otherwise. And we can't just have the rest, the rest of them sitting around finishing tasks, not having something else to go on to because I'm going to focus on something and really getting one child to crack a particular idea. Yeah. With tuition, you have to, you have to take that and you have to go, actually, no, that's exactly what you must do every mm-hmm. single lesson. You do focus, drill down, be, be forensic. It's, it's almost like the difference between mass producing cars and hand building a Rolls Royce. I mean, in theory, they're both, the product is both the same and they're both cars that go from A to B, but the process of getting there is not at all the same. One's mass produced in a factory and they're all black because they're full model T's or whatever it was, right? And one's uh, every single part has been painstakingly crafted. And that's much more like what tuition is. Um, so it is much more resource intensive, but the benefit you can gain is is much greater because you can, good tutors uh, require really good subject knowledge to be able to really have identify very quickly and diagnose where exactly is there a deficit why does the student not understand something and then be able to deal with that very specific issue rather than okay well we'll come on to that another time and the next topic for everybody to do is x so it's really that forensic where we go in we identify issues we fix those particular issues we move on and that cycle can take place very very quickly within a within a tutorial you could be identifying a problem minutes later you're fixing it and within 10, 15 minutes, you've moved on to something completely different because you've sorted that now and you've assessed it and you're sure they've understood. You'll come back to it in future and make sure you can check it may be next lesson. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, well, um, final plug for the Tutors Association. Um, what, what are the main benefits of membership? Why should people join, do you think? Absolutely. So the Tutors Association provides a range of benefits for for members, whether that's individual members, so individual tutors, whether or not you work with an agency or a company or whether you're a teacher or not, um, has a range of benefits for individual members, which include things like a legal helpline. It includes access to support and guidance on various different aspects of dealing with uh, tuition companies and, and clients. Um, it offers a free CPD platform for its members. Uh, and then for corporates, we also offer a different uh, range of benefits as well for corporates. Many of them overlap. But if there are people that are looking to set out on their own uh, to start their own tuition company to provide tuition with them and maybe a couple of their colleagues, then um, then obviously we support that as well. And we've got uh, services and guidance, and we we do carry out work to make sure that 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 the interests of the tuition sector are represented when it comes to making legislation uh, that affects the tuition sector to make sure that we're not accidentally making. Um, tuition in certain areas illegal or we're not accidentally trying to sort of introduce regulations or legislation that has undesirable consequences uh, that we don't that would have ultimately have an effect on student progress and success so that's really the tutor association is really important in my mind um, to make sure that the standards are there in the sector and to really support and and represent tutors and be able to say look tuition is a really good effective way of delivering support for students let's help tutors deliver a fantastic service let's help schools and other stakeholders to access that service and verify that the people they're working with are professionals who know what they're doing and in the very unlikely and unusual cases where people have issues with tta members they can come to us we do deal with it objectively and and We'll look into the merits of each case. And there have been occasions, a few of in the past, where we've had to say to organisations, you really don't meet the standard. And we we take the steps to remove them from the the register very, very quickly. So the TTA, I would say to schools and to teachers, um, 
it is the equality mark that you would want to be looking for. It's been there for years with the people who understand the tuition sector. I hesitate to say that Randstad don't have that level of understanding. Uh, but our role is not to deliver the national tutoring program. Our role is to really regulate the tuition sector and make sure that if you're using someone that's got as a TTA member, you can be confident that they're going to be able to do a good job. Yeah. And of course, um, people can look on TTA's website and and check that the tutor that they're interested in or working with is, is a member, can't, uh, can't they? Indeed, they can. Yep, you can go onto the TTA website. You search. You can search for the member. In the near future, we'll be publishing um, the whole membership list uh, for the for all tutors that have consented to have their details put up uh, publicly. We'll be publishing that more widely in the next uh, next year. But yeah, if you go onto the TTA website today, and you're and you've got Joe Blog says they're a tutor in maths and they claim that they're they're really really good and they're members of the tutors association. Then you can go on, you can type in their name and all their details will come up and say yes, this person is who they're saying they are. If they're not, then obviously you can ask them why that's the case. Uh, and and if you've got queries about any particular tutor about the tuition they've delivered or you want to check their member and you can't seem to find out on our site, then obviously you can contact us. The details are on our website as well. Brilliant. And in terms of um, being a teacher and a, a tutor. You, you can join the uh, association for, for what's well, less than nine pounds a month, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, less than nine pounds a month. Um, and again, you've got free helpline. You've got discounts on various resources and services, whether it's accountancy or tax or, or all those sorts of things. As I said, the free legal helpline, if you've got any queries, legal queries, uh, plus obviously access to the CPD platform, which is growing all the time and has only recently been launched. And then discounts on... Um, on training events and the National Tutors Conference, which is is held every year in the autumn as well. Fantastic. I think I spend more on coffee. (laughs) Exactly. Many people do. (laughs) It's a a single night out and you've spent more than you would have done on a TTA membership if you're a tutor. Oh, not my nights out, John. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It's been amazing to talk to you. And uh, I'm sure I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much, Emma. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
period should be talked about more often to remove stigma, the Council for Curriculum, Examinations and Assessment in Northern Ireland has found. A three-year pilot scheme to provide free period products in school has been set up by the Department for Education. Prior to the new department scheme, charity organisations such as the Red Box Project provided products to individual schools. According to the CCEA, many issues relating to period dignity have been exacerbated by lockdowns, particularly the issue of period poverty. More than 25% of pupils who responded to a survey said they had difficulty getting period products, and over 50% of respondents also said they were embarrassed when buying products. It is this statistic that has led to the suggestion that periods should be talked about more openly to reduce the stigma. According to a report in The Independent, the former top Department of Education civil servant received a payout of nearly £278,000 to leave his post following the August 2020 exam process. Jonathan Slater was removed as permanent secretary with only months left in his £165,000 a year role, after, according to the paper, Boris Johnson demanded fresh leadership. Now official documents have revealed he received the £270,000 payout for a loss of office. In August 2020, the DfE had come under fire for its system for working out exam grades, which initially relied on a now infamous algorithm, after exams were cancelled due to the pandemic. A lack of up-to-date textbooks is forcing teachers to source their own materials, according to reports from Africa Education Watch in Ghana. Two years after the introduction of a new curriculum, teachers are struggling to effectively implement it due to a lack of resources. Ghanaian Education Minister Dr Adwutwam admitted that the lack of textbooks was an issue, but assured Parliament that the problem was being dealt with. Africa Education Watch pointed out that those in charge of curriculum change should have waited for everything to be put in place before launching the new curriculum. In the meantime, teachers will continue to source their own materials whilst the situation is resolved. Finally, the local government website reports that school leaders are welcoming the government's confirmation of £4 billion worth of funding, but highlight that it falls well short of what is needed to make up for past cuts. The funding is due next year and includes an extra £1 billion for pupils with SEND. The funding can be used to meet a wide range of operational costs. Jeff Barton from the Askell Union stated that funding was welcome and described it as a shot in the arm, but stated that the current government has presided over cuts to education which are without precedent in post-war UK history. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This week we're going to look at one of the simplest, freely available, yet least used browser technologies, the Reader View. Chrome versus Edge, let the battle commence! On screen one, I have Microsoft Edge, weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. On screen two, I have Google Chrome, also weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. Round one, opening Reader View. On the Edge browser, the immersive reader feature is built in and can be activated by a button on the address bar. By typing read followed by a colon in front of a URL and also you can simply press F9. Before you can open Reader View in Chrome, you have to install it as an extension. It's free and not difficult. Once installed, you'll find it in extensions located to the right of the address bar. One point to Immersive Reader. Round two, features. Both come out fighting with the read aloud feature that allows the user to adjust the read speed, skip forward and back, and change the voice that is reading. 
they both also highlight the word being read. Chrome Reader has a volume control, which is a nice touch if not using headphones. One point, Chrome Reader. Round three, readability. A big feature for reader views is the ability to change the formatting to suit the user. Both allow easy changing of font size, font and text width on the screen, but they differ in background color features. Here is where Immersive Reader offers quite a bit more. Chrome Reader offers eight background slash contrast colors, four light and four dark, Immersive Reader provides 23 background options, green, pink, yellow and blue included, allowing pupils with visual needs to find a comfortable colour. One point, Immersive Reader. Round four, editing. Chrome Reader features a design mode. This allows you to highlight text and make changes. Quite useful if wanting to pick out key points to return to. Immersive Reader does not have this feature. One point, Chrome Reader. Round five, extra features. Immersive Reader has a grammar feature, allowing words to be split into syllables. You can highlight nouns, verbs, adjectives, and adverbs by flicking switches. This feature is not offered on Chrome Reader. One point, Immersive Reader. Immersive Reader also offers reading preferences, featuring line focus of five, three, or one line, blocking out the rest of the page. There's a picture dictionary, allowing some words to change the pointer to a magic wand that reveals a picture depicting it. Also, there's a translation feature allowing partial or full translation of a page into 88 different languages at the click of a button. Chrome Reader does not offer these features, however, other free products such as Google Translate could be used. Immersive Reader takes the point because you don't need to leave the page. Final score! Winning with 4 points to 2 after a blistering final round is Microsoft Immersive Reader, but let's face it, most people don't know these things exist. If you were one of them, please do something about it. See if these features are installed in your school, and if not, request they are. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Well, I don't know about you, but I now feel completely exhausted and slightly inadequate because I really no, had no idea about any of that. <laughs> So anyway, I'm sure Sarah will make me feel better. Uh, Sarah Gordon is a qualified English teacher and taught in 11 to 18 mainstream comprehensives for 13 years until she left the profession four years ago to start her own tuition business, Signature Tuition. Sarah is based in the northeast of England, but since the pandemic works principally online with students in the UK and uh, abroad. So I am hoping that Sarah is with me in the studio. Uh, Sarah, can you can you hear me? Hi Emma, morning. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm really good, thanks. How lovely to be invited on. Thanks Emma, it's really nice to speak to you this morning. Oh, lovely to have you on the show. And I'm um, really interested in the fact that you, you were a teacher for a good long time, because I know quite a lot of private tutors that um, talk a lot about being qualified and that's all great but they sort of went straight into tutoring whereas you you were one of us for a long time <laughs> yeah to be honest I still feel really it's really hard to sort of disassociate uh, disassociate myself from find, kind of still feeling like the the one of you because I mean it sounds really cheesy but I think when you've taught and you've done it for quite a while um it's always with you um and, and I do still, when people ask me what I do, I've kind of got to stop myself and say, oh, I'm a, I'm a private tutor, not a teacher, um, because they're obviously so similar. Well, I say that they're similar with um, a big slice of difference, aren't they? But it does feel, it, it just feels like a sort of, um, I always describe it as the best, best bits of teaching with all of the noise around the edges taken off. Um, <laughs> and that's sort of where I've got to with, with my um, approach to tuition. Um, but yeah, I absolutely loved being a teacher, um, and I still, I, I kind of still feel that, that 
that is who I am. Um, and it sounds really strange to say, but having kind of left university, then done my PGCE, um, and then getting my first job um, in my NQT year, um, and teaching, you know, in, in schools and being really happy doing that, um, with a small caveat that I can't have been 100% happy because obviously I wouldn't have left the profession when I did. Um, but I was, you know, massively happy with it. I loved my job teaching. Um, uh, and so kind of moving into to being a tutor, um, yeah, it, it does still feel strange that teaching isn't what I tell people I do, even though I've been doing this for four years full time now, because um, I really love teaching and I love everything about it. Um, Although, as I say, I think having read what everyone's going through recently with the pandemic, I've sort of felt I felt I felt kind of quite bad about the fact that I'm not there experiencing it with with everybody. Um, and also now I feel like teacher light, if you like, <laughs> where, um, you know, I, I really do feel like I've got the nice bits around the edge without all of the, ter- you know, the, the really difficult things that people have had to deal with in the last couple of years, especially um, with all the pandemic driven um, issues that people are having to contend with and again even now when everyone should be looking forward to having some well-earned time off um, I know that it, it's probably not that easy to to maybe feel they can switch off now just with with January um, and potential uncertainties that kind of thing. Mm. But I mean I think setting up your own business is a really tough thing to do and one of the things that's always put me off because obviously as as I'm sure we all do, I've had the many uh, moments where I've gone right. That's it. I'm mm. I'm leaving. I can't stand it anymore. I'm gonna. I've, I've got these skills, and I can become a private tutor, and it'll be great. Mm. And one of the things that massively puts me off is, of course, the main demand is during antisocial hours, so your mm. weekends and your evenings. And I'm. I mean, I'm done by about six o'clock in the evening. I'm useless in the evenings. So, isn't that a huge pressure in terms of when when you are asked to tutor yeah it really is I mean when I made the decision um to leave teaching I had done some tuition but like you say you just do feel completely done so I would do two or three hours a week and it was really pocket money on the side you know it was kind of like the little treat money um that I would sort of um have and and it was just even that felt too much sometimes on a night when you finished a full day at work and you know various things had happened and it had been a really intense day and particularly if you were getting to the end of a term and everyone knows how difficult the winter nights can sometimes feel with you know fatigue and that kind of thing um so yeah it is it is difficult um with the hours and I would say probably together with my absolute lack of business knowledge when I first started that was the, the biggest obstacle I was up against. But I've also got to say I was pathetically grateful for any business that I could get when I left teaching because teaching came with a really lovely safety net. You know, you've got all of your, your kind of your wages already set out for you. Your taxes are done. Your national insurance is done. Um, your pension is all sorted. Um, your holidays are paid. Um, if you decide to take the leap, I know you did a show on this a few weeks back about um, you know, uh, not being well enough to go in and, and think it, and you're really not well enough because, you know, you've got to jump through hoops to sort of have a day off sometimes, really setting all of the cover work. And uh, but you get those days paid for. And yeah. what yeah. I'd done originally was I just I got to the point where I so I'm an English teacher. That, that's sort of what I'm qualified in. Um, 
and there's a lot of marking um, with English teachers. I know all teachers are absolutely pushed in their various ways, but with English, it's so marking heavy. And it was mm. getting to the point where I just didn't have that that much mentioned and much sought after um, and really frustrating phrase, the work-life balance. I just didn't have that at all. Um, and it was getting to the point where I felt that I couldn't find it, even if I wanted to, um, because it's really hard to shut off, isn't it, after a full day at work? And you know if you've got a student that's doing an exam shortly and they just need a little bit more of a push or they've done some extra work, um, or you've got quite a demanding parent um, and they're emailing you on a weekend. And actually the school that I left were fantastic and they've now got a policy that you don't answer emails out of school hours, but that wasn't the case when I was teaching. And there really was a pressure because, you know, if colleagues were answering those parents and you weren't, um, it didn't look great on you. And and I, I always wanted my students' parents to know that I really had their, student, their child's needs um, at heart. And that was why I was there. So it was getting to a point where a weekend was taken up with checking my school email on my phone and replying to parents, then quickly working on something which they'd asked me to look at or marking an extra piece of work on top of the already sort of, you know, the books that I take home and sometimes just leave in the boot all weekend and then think on Monday morning, why did I do that? Um, but it was getting really difficult to sort of keep on top of that and enjoy home life, which for me is really, really important. Um, and, and I, I just had a bit of a review of it. Um, and I just thought, you know, what do I need to get through and get by? I did a lot of reading, bought a lot of books about starting up a business. And there wasn't much in the way of um, information out there on private tuition at the time. Um, and there was one book that I read um, and it was, you know, a, a really sort, sort of small how to tutor type thing from Amazon for about a pound. But it got me sort of engaged and I thought, right, I can actually, yeah, I can do this as long as I've got a few clients to get me away. Everything else I can sort out as I go. But I knew it would be evenings and I knew it would be weekends. But I held this hope because one thing I had been doing is tuning into social media and particularly Facebook online tutoring groups, you know, and, and they've grown massively, um, as you can imagine, since the pandemic and, you know, all mm -hmm. of the profile on tuition has grown. So I started to look at them and there was this kind of holy grail, or how I thought of it as like the golden nugget, the whole holy grail of tuition, which was gaining students from other parts of the world who are in different time zones. Um, yes. So you would be looking at, you know, countries to the east of us and, and uh, you know, sort of so the Far East and um, Asia. Um, and that was the sort of the dream that I was going for, because I thought if I can get some clients like that, then I can work during the day. And I was really used to a school timetable. Um, and I felt really lost when I first left teaching um, because firstly, I didn't have my colleagues and I didn't have the staff room. Um, and as probably your listeners, and, and you already know, Emma, I can talk. Um, and it's really <laughs> important for me to have people to chat to and to share things with and to empathize with and gain empathy from when you're having that bad day or that student that you just can't work out how you can move forward because you feel that you've tried everything in your repertoire and after you know 13 years of teaching and, and you, you you get you know I, I was doing really well in my school I was well regarded and I absolutely loved the job but you still need that input from other people um, and I think that that was one of the other challenges um, that I faced but 
So I'd get up early in the morning and then not have the usual briefing that you'd have in a staff room and then not have the sort of break time chat um, and then know that I was waiting around until six o'clock on an evening because at this point I didn't have any of the clients. I had three clients to start with and I'd sort of done my sums when I decided to leave and I'd put away enough money to get me through from the September up until the January of the first year of the business. And then the January date was looming and I was still working on three evenings and two hours on a Saturday and clinging to every single hour of that. But I was so grateful to be doing it because although I only had the five hours a week to begin with, I did have all of Sunday. I had all of my Saturday afternoon and I could switch off when I was done because, you know, I was getting up at regular school hours and attending my own imaginary briefing in my um, in my kitchen and kind of making my notes and things for how I was going to teach my students later on that evening. Um, and then it was just a waiting game. So the antisocial element of things, to some extent, um, I'm lucky because I haven't got a family. So I haven't got the pressures that many teachers and, you know, people who have families would have, you know, you've got to pick your own children up and it's sort of striking that balance, isn't it, between family life and again, sacrificing that that sense of what's really good in the work-life balance but um what happened over time is you you know if you do a good job and i always hope to do a really excellent job for my students and their families is that word of mouth starts to happen um and you can be more selective and i learned really from looking at other people that i got in touch with who were tutoring um, and I always asked them, I was obsessed at first, like, how many students do you tutor? Because I'd worked out like a number that I needed to equal my teaching um, wage, because that's really what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I sort of didn't want to feel that I'd suffered by leaving the classroom. And teaching was, a, and it may sound really pathetic, but it was a massive part of my identity and how I based my self-confidence and self-worth, because I loved that I was a teacher and that I knew that every day I would go in and and help somebody and that sounds very sort of self obsessed and, and trying to sound worthy but it you know honestly it was a big part of who I was and I, you know I think it still is and that's why I struggle sometimes when I say I'm not a teacher anymore I'm a private tutor because I think it sounds far more mercenary um <laughs> but it to be honest you know it's I'm not um I didn't go into it for that reason as you can tell when I uh, started off with my three precious students um <laughs> But what I've done since then is refine it. So as the business has, has sort of demand has grown and it has, of course, grown exponentially since the pandemic, um, I've I've really refined my working hours. So I work three evenings a week and then my other students are daytime students that I have from other countries. And, you know, that that came over time and, and networking and meeting new people. And that's a whole new um, sort of phrase to me as well the whole networking thing didn't do that in teaching I mean it was just sitting in the staff room and chatting to people um and I'm not I, I don't love it it's not something that comes naturally to me in terms of you know standing there and saying what you want and, and who you're looking for as a client but those things did work and speaking to other people um and kind of reaching out um has allowed me to sort of refine things so hence I'm able to do a lovely radio interview with you on a Saturday morning when I used to work Mm-hmm. all day Saturday so it, it has taken time to get here but it's been for me it has been really worth it um I mean I did. yeah I mean I was amazed when you you told me you were listening to my shows live I just assumed that Saturday was your busiest day but it's fantastic that you've got to the point of uh, of being able to you know to block out that time and say no I'm not because I presume that the, the clients are que- queuing up and you could take on more but you're yeah. saying no yeah, and I, 
that that's probably again been another really difficult part because when I got really busy so the end of the first year and the start of the second year you know I was really busy and I was like oh this is fantastic so I was saying yes to everybody who was you know um happy to come on board and you know happy with the way that I work and you know all of that kind of thing um but then I was absolutely exhausted and I and my husband said isn't this why you came out of teaching so that (laughs) You, you weren't working all the time and you weren't yeah. stressed out about the fact that you weren't quite ready for the next day and you had to stay up extra late to prepare and that kind of thing. Um, and it really kind of gave me a bit of time to think, yeah, that's exactly what I came out of teaching to do. What am I doing? Um, but it's, I think the biggest, and, and it is, a, it sounds really silly, but I guess this is why <laughs> my strength is in English, not in math. Um, And I think the other kind of big shock to the system was that first summer, because I'd saved enough money to get me to January. The clients grew steadily but slowly. And then I got to the summer and obviously I've always been paid to have, you know, summer, summer not working in school and, you know, doing the other things that teachers do in summer, which includes having a little bit of time out and not having to think about things. And suddenly I was having to think about the fact that I didn't have an income. Um, And the income that I did have was just getting me along through the months that I was working. So the next year was all about um, kind of building the pot up so it would get me through summer, which was great. But this is when I didn't know how to say no to people and hadn't really worked out how to refine the timetable so that I could have a little bit of both so I could get through summer, but also have that that work-life balance that I wanted. So it's taken a little bit of time. And then we got the pandemic, which was an absolute nightmare for everybody. And that's obviously thinking about it in a very light way. Obviously, it's been horrendous for a lot of families and a lot of young people. Um, But from a tuition perspective, um, I lost everybody that was doing GCSEs and A-levels. And that's about 80% of it, or it was 80% of my client base. So again, it was really tough at that point. But um, because you haven't got your staff room, and that's where I would have gone, you know, to share the woes and gain advice and find out what other people are doing. That's where I, you know, you've got to be a little bit proactive and look around and social media is excellent and professional bodies like the Tutors Association have been excellent for that for me. Um, and, you know, at that point, um, you can gain ideas and look at how other people are navigating the situation and as well help them. Um, and that sort of got me through there. But yeah, I, I would say the biggest drawback with tuition, and a few colleagues said it at the time, oh, gosh, I couldn't work on those nights. I just couldn't do it. Um, mm. But I get the days and I get my I get my nice sort of lunches out. And I've just it's just been a bit of a change to my own personal culture of working. Um, actually, that sounds like a terrible phrase, doesn't it? But it, it, it has just been a change to my system, you know, that getting myself out of that habit of I'm attending a briefing at 20 to nine and that'll last for 10 minutes and then I'll go and do this and then I'll start my day's teaching. And actually, you know, I've just made a different, I'm very much a timetable person. I like a good structure. So I've got my own timetable and in there I've got penciled in my gym time and my time out where I might meet somebody, uh, which isn't obviously all all ideal because people do work generally uh, nine till five. Um, But that's where the three evenings a week and, um, you know, the daytime sessions have really helped. But it's taken a long time to get to that point where I feel confident enough to say no. and, and know that I've got sort of my long-term plan, but that's where the lack of business acumen that I, uh, you know, that I entered into it with came in. Um, and, and you just learn from it, I guess. Yeah, I, I, it must be such a steep learning curve. And I certainly recognize 
it must be so difficult to turn people down in the early stages I oh, think I think that must be is. the toughest thing to get that get to that point you're like no I have to say I have to say no I have you know I have to do sensible hours yeah it really is and sometimes it will be for a client you already teach who wants extra sessions which to be honest I try to discourage anyway because I think you know one enough in one subject and you know with some because my aim is to always sort of equip them with the tools and confidence so that they know they can do it themselves they don't need me next to them all of the time but of course when you have that conversation it looks as though you're being a little bit difficult and if a parent recommends you to one of their friends for example or a family member and then you you know you say no to them it you feel as you know I looked as though I felt as though I looked as though I was being kind of ungracious um and so it is a hard position to to sort of navigate a little bit I've I've got round it by um I have some of the tutors who now do work for um the business and that's helped hugely um because it does mean that I know that I can pass them on to somebody excellent and if I haven't got a tutor I'll always try and pass them on to somebody that I know has a strong reputation and, and strong ability so you know I'll never sort of leave somebody um, hanging and that having that sort of technique around the edge knowing that I'm not just saying no and I'll try and offer them some of the solution or somewhere to go to find somebody excellent um, is how I sort of got around it but yeah at first it felt really sort of um contrary to, to sort of any natural instinct where you know you, you're looking for clients and you want to make sure you're going to have enough money to get through summer and then mm. you say no to people um but it's just knowing that you've got a strong plan in place and and you know which i hopefully do now um and that has made the difference but it, it's taken a while to get there and there have been points when i thought oh i just didn't have this in teaching you know it was all organized for me um so, and and one yeah. of the things about teaching, I mean, obviously we're not paid a fortune, but it's a, a reliable, it's certainly yeah. not bad, and it's a reliable salary. And of course, the pension as well, and all of those, you know, that benefits. So, this is it. This um, is exactly it. And and it's a huge, I mean, it, that, it's a constant weight in the back of your mind when you know that you haven't got those things sorted. I mean... Um, it's simple things like, you know, the tax that gets deducted at, at source when you get paid. I mean, yeah. I always hated looking at that bit in my wage slip, but now I sort of miss it because I think that's, you know, that's something I've got to organise myself. And, you know, I've had to, I've been through three different accountants because I didn't know what I was looking for. And one was extortionately expensive, but I thought it was worth it because the last thing I want to do is to end up with an unexpected tax bill. Um, so again, it's all of these things that you, you learn by experience, but yeah, having to sort of navigate that and what you squirrel to the side for, you know, Mr. Tax person, um, and what you can spend is a, a big learning curve. The pension element is a big deal. Um, but again, it's just in, really including that in, in your, your plan, your business plan and what you, what comes in and what you sort of navigate out somewhere else. Um, I think the other thing that I've had to do with that. And this is where I think organisations like Tutors Association and other similar organisations which are growing um, in stature and recognition um, really come in because it allows tuition to be valued as a profession in its own right. Um, so, for example, I had a parent that tried to barter, um, tried to barter me down and asked, well, what exactly makes you worth that when I can get a tutor for X amount of money? 
Um, and I don't really like getting involved in those conversations because, you know, that's for them to decide, not really for, you know, I don't feel that I've got to justify myself once I've, you know, demonstrated, you know, my qualifications, my experience, my commitment to safeguarding, you know, the fact that, you know, I'm insured as a tutor and I, you know, I'm a member of professional bodies. Um, Hmm. But ultimately, as a profession, your rate will, does need to include things like uh, putting in, I, I know parents don't necessarily want to pay for my pension, but what that allows me to do is to really put the time and um, quality into the lesson preparation that I do to provide all of that time, which, you know, and it is absolutely that ring fence time that I give. I don't over tutor so that I know that all of my students have the very best that I can give. Um, and, you know, I'm committed to excellence with each of them. So uh, that's how I do it. And, and it is reflected in the rate. But at the same time, so is the fact that their child's in a safe pair of hands with somebody who has an up to date DBS certificate and somebody who has taken um, child safeguarding courses every year and somebody that is insured. And, you know, all of those is a member of professional bodies, all of those things, which and this was the most shocking thing to me as a teacher entering tuition. I just hadn't realised it wasn't wasn't regulated mm. and it was the biggest shock to me and I and continue to see it shock parents because they just have a natural assumption that I would have a DBS I mean I do and I'm glad that's their natural assumption of me but as tutors in general they have that assumption because they link it very much to the teaching profession which mm. of course has that as their sort of you know absolute starting point to when you get a job um within a school yeah. um but of course, it, it isn't. And, and what that means is, I mean, I, I've come across some some out, outstanding professional tutors through mm. uh, TTA. But uh, my one story that I just have never quite got over is um, in, in my school. Uh, uh, you know, I teach Latin. Um, mm. So obviously, that's a, unlike English, a subject where students opt at GCSE mm. and, you know, you lose quite a few. And this girl in year 11 came to see me, who I knew. I taught her in lower school. She came and up, she said, oh, um, Miss, I actually carried on with Latin with a private tutor. And I was like, OK, fine. You know, sometimes parents do that because mm. we only allow them to take so many options and they go mm. off and, you know. And I was like, OK, great. That's great. You kept up with your Latin. She said, well, my mum was wondering if I could do the mock exam. This was just before January. And I said, ah, well, I said, that's absolutely no problem will depend though on whether you're doing the same literature texts as, as I am and she looked blank texts and I said yeah which, which uh, set texts are you studying uh not studying any texts I thought oh oh okay this is 50 percent mm. of the exam so long story short after a little bit of investigation it turns out this tutor so-called had no idea about the specification hadn't even given her the vocabulary list, oh. had, didn't appear to know that. So basically, she'd just been teaching her some Latin, oh. possibly very effectively. I've got no idea. But mm. I was like, well, part of the job is knowing the exam you're working to. That's kind of important. <laughs> so yeah. I had to explain to this parent that um, there's no way your child is going to be ready for this exam in the next four to five months. I mean, this it's just is, not going to happen. I mean, and this is the difficulty, isn't it? And obviously that girl's parents employed that tutor in with the absolute best of intentions and on, in a massive position of trust with the assumption 
that they know what they're doing because they've said they know what they're doing. Um, and, and that's really hard. Um, you know, you really feel for that family, don't you? But mm. I think that's the thing. And I think actually, as a having come from, you know, a teaching background and having loved that and having real respect for my teaching colleagues and increased um, amounts of respect, actually, with, with what everybody is now contending with, um, you know, in these crazy times we are currently seeing, um, the sheer quality of their work and their dedication to their students, you know, it is incredible. But one of the things that I remember um, as a teacher in my final year of teaching, we had an absolutely wonderful NQT in our department. I mean, she was fabulous. You know, when you just see a teacher and you think, wow, you've just got it. She mm. is, she was wonderful. Her classroom uh, management was fantastic. Her marking, everything was wonderful. And she had really positive relationships with her class as well. But as we, you know, as we always get, you know, there will be students that maybe don't take to a teacher's style of teaching or, you know, for whatever reason, they just don't, don't like that lesson and I remember being sat at the table next to this teacher on a parent's evening and the parent was very defensive when she sat down with the daughter and she's quite antagonistic and the, you know the, she was an NQT this this um, young teacher but very effective and very professional and, and dealt with the parent very welcome you know in a very welcoming way um, and as the teacher started to ask the child how she felt the year had gone the parents and I'm just going to stop you there and just let you know that we've just come to tell you that she's got a private tutor um, and the private tutor's just said that she's she's not to listen to anything that you tell her and she's <laughs> only going to do what the private tutor tells her to do and that's why we've um, kept the appointment just to let you know that and apart from being hugely upsetting on a personal note because you know we are professional but we're you know and I think often we have the skin of rhinos because we need it. But that that has got to sting. And it was shocking to sit next to um, that sort of, and hear that discussion. Hear, hear, well, not even a discussion. Hear that sort of declaration and, and really then a sort of an, a, a, an attempt to sort of leave. And Well, she did leave, um, the parent and the daughter. Um, and I think that for me as a teacher, that was one of the most damaging things that I could have heard at that point about tutors because and, and John Nichols your previous caller the president of TTA mentioned it as well that teaching intuition should be such natural bedfellows and yet mm. I think sometimes there's a sense of cynicism and a sense of um, distrust between the two and I think that it comes from experiences like the one that you've just mentioned and the one that I heard there, because I just, I mean, I would love to have a discussion with the person that was tutoring that child and ask them what they were thinking, because it doesn't help anybody. And what it does is it pits tuition and teachers on two separate sides of a coin, which should be on exactly the same page. We yeah. are all there for the same reason. Um, and, and from that moment, really, I wanted to make, you know, I think all teachers, all good teachers have a really good golden rule in school that you don't undermine members of staff in front of each other, even if you don't agree with what they've said to a student. You know, you save that for a discussion that's not in front of the child or in the classroom and maybe have a, a chat about that later on if it's necessary. Um, and I think the same should be true for teachers and tutors. You may not agree with something, but you do it in a really positive and constructive way. And I think as a tutor, that's been my number one rule going into tuition because 
I know that the, the, the teachers don't know me at all. They don't know if I'm good, I'm bad. I'm teaching their, their students something which will take them off curriculum, off exam spec, if I'm teaching them the right spec. You know, it's a massive act of trust and lots of teachers don't even know that their students are being mm. tutored, actually. Um, but I think when I've had parents come to me and complain about a teacher or a school, um, my golden rule is to just, you know, I just do not, I do not enter in that into that discussion because, of course, that discussion could be tainted by an awful lot of other things. And I think that it's not my position to... Um, to sort of discuss what happens in a classroom other than find out what they're learning and and then from that point onwards it's my business and and, and no none of my business to know anything else really other than right how can we make this improve and what's the more, your most recent result in the classroom um but one of the things that i i do say to my parents and works really really well is that if they want to let that teacher know and many don't actually but if they do want to let that teacher know that their child's having tuition that it would be a really good um, idea um, and then that they can share my email with them and that I will often send a welcome email that includes the teacher and the child and the parent because of course I never have a child in an email um, unless the parents give them permission and the, the parents always in there for safeguarding but what I think that's wonderful for doing is bridging that sort of gap of suspicion and allowing the teacher to, if they want, to have a real directing part in the tuition. So say, for example, they've done their mocks recently, lots of year 11 students, and there's a particular question on language paper one um, that students find really tough. Um, and it takes a disproportionate amount of time away from other more high value questions. Let's say, for example, the teacher recognised that and they, they then get in touch with me, with the parent involved. And I just think that keeps a high level of accountability for everybody, the student included, which at the, the end of the day is, you know, at the centre of this, um, you know, what, what we're all trying to do is to support them to increase their life opportunities with the best possible exam results. So, yeah, I think yeah. working together and in tandem is such an important thing. Um, and, you know, I know I'm just one little tutor in the northeast, but um, I do try to make sure that wherever I can, I try to sort of bridge this really strong gap between um, the teacher at the school my students at um, and, you know, their image of what tutors do, because um, that, that's got to be something that is incredibly positive and mutually positive so mm -hmm. that it benefits the student and that we get rid of this horrible sense of, distrust because yes there are a lot of really bad tutors out well maybe there aren't I don't know I would imagine there's a, a lot of bad tutors out there but there are so many more fantastic tutors and that's where it comes down to um you know um professional bodies and membership and just showing that you really care about your student because you've got all of the the different kind of the backgrounds behind you and and mm -hmm. I, I do think you don't have to have been a teacher to be a good tutor but I think it's put me in very good stead because you know you, you just know how how to sort of connect really um i think certainly having and i think if you if we're going to bridge that gap i think it's crucial that we have good private tutors who who are or were teachers and certainly as someone who's still in in you know still a teacher and, and only tutors occasionally i i have found working as a tutor that most teachers and i find this very sad most teachers are very threatened if I get in, mm -hmm. in touch with them. They're very defensive. Most most of them not willing to work with me. They seem to think it's a sort of insult to their teaching that, that the yeah. per person's hired a tutor. Whereas, uh, and 
Whereas I, I mean, there's a local tutor. I've never met her in person. I spoke to her on the phone, but, you know, she works in a, a local private school. And one of the parents of one of my class members found her. And she took a student who was failing in my class to an A star. Wow. And I mean, I must admit at first I was a bit, ooh. <laughs> um, and that's it, we do, we find it threatening. But then I thought, well, hang on, there are, there are two options here. I can either just feel threatened or I can go, wow, this tutor's clearly phenomenal. Can yeah. you give me her details? And now I, you know, anyone that I know wants to support their child and can afford it, I send her away. Mm-hmm. And and I and well and I work directly with her. I say, can you work with him on this? Or, you know, yeah. he, he's re- and it's and it's so powerful for yeah. those children. And and it's 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 yeah, so I've you know, rather than just be threatened by it, I thought, well let's let's make this into a positive. And I don't think that's necessarily an easy thing to do. I mean, well done on you for, for sort of taking that, the, the sort of adult in the room approach, which I think is instinctively, you know, when you think, oh, well, that, that's my job. And I, I might, you know, does a parent not think I'm doing it well enough? But when you think about the fact you've got so many people in a classroom, you know, any more than one person in a classroom means that you can't give that child undivided time. It doesn't matter how good you are. And yes, Absolutely. that child would no doubt have got to that result in time with you. But as we know, tuition accelerates that level of progression. Um, and I think yeah. taking that positive step and building such a positive relationship there is massive. And I think for me, that that is really, that's at the heart of great, learning and great development because I think the child feels very looked after the parents really happy um, and they can say ultimately it shows you care um, and I think it is about putting the sort of it's really difficult to do but putting that sort of ego to the side and thinking well what are you suggesting about the fact that there's obviously a gap in what I'm doing when it's not about that it's just about we can't do everything for everybody in one hour or 45 minutes or however long a lesson is in a classroom. Yeah. And, and as, our, as, as we know, as, as tutors, I mean, sometimes I, I do think, what is the teacher doing? Uh, I must admit, I've thought that occasionally. But quite often, I work with one girl um, and I thought she's been brilliantly taught. Um, but it was just those little gaps and little lacking in confidence. And mm. and, and yet, you know, the, the mother was effusive about my tutoring and said, oh, she's like more with you, you know, and seemed quite critical of the school. I was like, no, 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 she's, she's been really well taught. She's just slightly lost her way on a on a couple of things. And, and like you said, what you can achieve one-to-one yes. by, like I was saying earlier, frisking for where those little tiny gaps are and yeah. plugging them. And, and then suddenly a child who who felt she was really struggling is absolutely flying and it's just because there were a few holes in the wall that's all it is that's it and I think it really changes how the child feels about the lesson in school and the teacher and everything else and it becomes such a positive cycle of positivity you know because um so I've got a student and he's just oh I mean I'm really sort of I love all of my students they're all absolutely gorgeous but I've just got this lovely lovely boy um wonderful at sciences and it tends to be I have a lot of students who are wonderful in sciences and maths and English is just it's the one that's not as formulaic and I think you know some students who are incredibly bright in those areas can sometimes find it a struggle in English because it feels a bit fluffier and a little bit more subjective and you know why do they have to describe a door in such fluffy terms when it just opens and shuts for example um and so uh I worked with this boy and at the end of the summer he got three awards from school now his school don't I don't think they know he's um, got a tutor 
But that student, oh my goodness, just to see his his lit up face at the end of summer, and he was a bit embarrassed about it as well. And that was even sweeter, just because he was quite embarrassed <laughs> telling me, and he was trying to sort of kind of hide his smile. Um, but that is just absolutely gorgeous. And I know that his relationship with his classroom teacher and with the English department, he's now on their radar um, for being someone that really wants to work hard. And what can be more important right now when we've got all of the time, these centre assessed grades potentially hanging up, we've just got to make sure that we're aware of that, the fact that might happen. Um, and he's really sort of put himself up there himself. And uh, yeah, I just think that there's such a lovely power and connection between tuition and the teacher and I mean ultimately I, it doesn't matter if a child doesn't share it with the teacher but I do think when a teacher is aware of a, tu a child having tuition um, that it, it's just really nice for that tutor and that teacher to have contact with each other and, and to sort of foster a real atmosphere of positive um, constructive positivity because we're all on this all we want to do is help that child and the thing is Emma when that child got an A star how great is that for you you know you've got your results kind of some of them are already sorted it's lovely and it's because of yeah. all the hard groundwork that you've done um and then obviously that child's extra ambition and enthusiasm for working outside of lessons has, has helped them to to achieve that more quickly um and and sort of you know give yeah and actually lift. it was one it was lovely because what Kathy that tutor did who I who I had by then was in touch with she sent me a text on the day he got his result and said oh. didn't we do well oh. and I just thought oh, just warmed the cockles on my heart because I thought and that's that to yeah. me some how it should be that she was you know felt we were working as a team and, and it was just lovely absolutely I mean I'm very cheesy and Emma you know I'm quite cheesy but it takes a village doesn't it and I think that that's sort of the, the thing there you know it takes a village to raise a child and there you've got you know that combined effort that's given that child something really special that has definitely you know helped them as they've got to that next part of their life and applied for colleges and interviews and universities yeah. and that kind of thing um no it, I, I do think that I just hope that things continue to to grow really positively and I think with the um, school-led tutoring initiatives hopefully that bridge is building more strongly all of the time um, and teachers and tutors you know realize that they're on the same team and that's not to say that all teachers and all tutors have never thought that but you know it, it I think it's too much of a noise or it has been in the past that there is a distrust between them and, and that's really what I think we need to um, get rid of um, yeah. and, and start to sort of wear away at, work away I, at. I totally agree. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, Sarah, which is uh, such a shame because I could talk to you forever, as you well know. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I'm going to have to close the show. Um, so thank you so much for joining me. Thank you uh, very much. And just, you know, thanks to all of those amazing teachers out there who just continue to do what they're doing under such difficult circumstances. I really do think of these teachers every day because I just, I wonder how I would cope and I'm not sure I would. So, you know, at the end of a really difficult term, um, huge well done to you all because amazing. Just huge pats on the back. You just don't get it enough out there. So, yeah, well done. Well, thank you so thanks, much, Sarah. Sarah. Thank you. Take care. And Bye-bye. And thank you to my guest earlier as well, uh, John Nichols, uh, president of the Tutors Association. So I'm going to close uh, the show uh, in a moment. I do hope you'll join me again on Teachers Talk Radio as I will be back after the Christmas break. First show, 8th of January. 
when I'll be interviewing Sean Lambert, a teacher who's worked in some of the most elite schools in the country, including Eton College. I will try to resist grilling him about Boris, I promise. As it's my last show before Christmas, I have something a little different to play us out. Last year, my school's music department refused to let Christmas go past without doing something for our talented students, even though a concert was, of course, not allowed. So they held a festive competition and invited students to send in their performances as videos or sound files. Even better than that, the winning entries were played on our local radio station. And the lovely Freya, who was at the time in year seven, she's now in year eight, produced the most beautiful entry and was one of our winners. Now, Freya has converted me to this particular festive song, which if I'm, if I'm honest until now, I've always hated. The well-known version consists of Bing Crosby droning and a ghastly baritone. But Freya's version, which consists of nothing but her, her ukulele and her lovely voice, gives it a fresh wistfulness that only the very young can achieve. I'm really grateful to her for giving me permission to play it for you today. So this is me signing off for Christmas. May your days be merry and bright. day.